1: Or do something a little more epic. And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's 2 p.m. in Memphis. Giannato and Jeffrey time. Get off the fence. Live on Memphis' Sports Station. 929 FM ESPN. Get mother, get.
2: Welcome to the Giannotto and Jeffrey Show. Coming to you live from Memphis, Tennessee, my name is Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me on Twitter at jwright 929 espn Dennis Fuller produced the program for us. Glad that he is with us. Sitting across from is the Commercial Appeal's lead sports columnist. The lead sports columnist of the number one sports section in the state of Tennessee. Top, thre- uh, top three sports columnists in the state of Tennessee, barely tied for eighth best sports columnist in the United States of America. He's on Twitter at mgnato. Mark, good day, sir.
1: So
3: I know I've been uh pounding the table saying I love the NBA draft. Mm-hmm. Like it, I like it more than the
2: NFL draft mm-hmm. usually. Mm-hmm. Usually. Mm-hmm. Um this is where you say I'm sorry. It's not that I'm sorry. I, I I it's not that I'm wrong. Yes, you I, are. I, I'm allowed, to like, whatever, I'm allowed no, to like whatever I'm allowed to like whatever draft I want. But it is not like it is unquestionably not a good watch as a draft. Last night's was not a good watch. Last night's was horrific, but that's the other thing. It's like the problem that I have with the NBA is it starts to just get predictable. You know what's great about the NFL draft? You got dumb meatheads half the time making picks, and all of a sudden they do something stupid and it throws everything into chaos. It's like somebody hitting on 19 at the blackjack table. It ruins everything, but you still want to watch.
3: Yeah, you also the NFL guys, the NFL's done a better job of controlling the uh, pick tippers. Well, yeah. Um, they probably
2: would just, you
3: know. No, and they they do a better job making it a show now, the the, the NFL. They, they, they're smart and moving it around now, too. Yeah, um, like,
2: but they're also going to start moving it to, you can tell what they're doing. They're, yeah, they're cl-
3: creating another money
2: maker. No, no, well, but they're also, they're sending it to cities that they're never going to give a Super Bowl to. Mm. That's where they're, they're going to Green well, Bay and, next year. Well, like, it's,
3: it's it's that, and it's also, like, with Nashville, for instance, I think it was, like, a test to see if Nashville could hold well, the Super Bowl.
2: Yeah, but Nashville holding the Super Bowl was dependent on getting the, the stadium. yeah, they had yeah. to get the Dome first.
3: But, uh, regardless, last night's, NBA draft
2: was interesting to say the least. One, I- no, it wasn't. <laughs> it was actually f- incredibly boring. <sighs> yeah, Mark, e- the ESPN projections—they got twenty-eight of the thirty first-round picks. Could you imagine if there's someone yeah. that had that batting average on the NFL draft? We'd figure out like that guy would be a bazillionaire because you can bet on the in- the NFL draft much easier
3: than you can bet on the NBA draft. I, I was sitting in FedEx Forum because I was there for the you know the wait <laughs> the. You get the. I got there at seven. I was actually thinking in my head. I, I was like, after the Marcus Smart trade, I was like, I probably really don't need to show up to FedEx Forum till like eleven o'clock at night, at the earliest, because Zach Kleiman typically speaks, you know, at the very end of the draft, um, and that's what he did last night. Um, but I believe I I looked at my wa- uh, my clock when the when the Grizzlies actually picked at forty five. Well, I guess they technically picked at twenty five, but. Uh, that's the other
2: thing. It's like, yeah, God, no, this, the is, so the, the this nu- is
3: so dumb. This is so
2: And the, the logic yeah. behind it is so stupid. Well, the league year has just, just been move the league year to yes. before the draft started. Holy cow. Yeah. This is a quick but, fix. Do, and create a but thing. But that's also the other problem. The NBA's got way too many lawyers that are like <laughs> decision makers. Like Everything feels like it's just a technicality. It's like, we don't care.
3: Well, and then it just seemed like it took longer last night than typical drafts. It, I was, like looking, I was again, looking at my clock and going, man, we're starting the second round at, like, 10 o'clock central time, right? Didn't that feel like an hour off almost or 45 yeah, so minutes this off? this is what I
2: couldn't figure out. It clearly felt – it certainly felt later for the second round. Like, there's no question like this. I feel like yeah. the second now round maybe, ran up to, like, midnight almost. Yeah, midnight central time. Right, yeah.
3: Usually did it's like that runs till midnight Eastern time.
2: But I didn't notice more time on the clock in between picks. So what I was trying to figure out was. more. Yeah, I don't know. Did they start it later? Like, did, it used to start at 6 Central instead of 7? Or like, seven?
3: seventh or like or 6.30. You know, like something like that. But I mean, there's, yeah. it
2: clearly felt way longer than normal. Or it certainly, let me say this. It felt like we finished way later. I don't know if it was longer. The longness may have been, the length may have been a product of, that was without a doubt the worst televised draft I've ever watched. Any sport. It was, it was
3: horrible. It was bad. Well, it's Friday. We usually talk about what are we going to be talking about coming out of Monday. I'll be curious if we're still talking about the the ESPN broadcast, at least. Uh, then lots to get to, though, um, because... I will say, though, it was a very quiet night for whatever, six hours for the Grizzlies. Like, basically, they made the Marcus Smart trade and didn't, you know, didn't do anything else. Made two, at least in the short term, inconsequential draft picks.
2: But loved both of them. Number one, Mm -hmm. if you're going to pick at 45 Mm -hmm. and you tell me you're taking a red flag guy, sign me up. Yeah. That's the perfect spot to take a yes. hit, like take a swing.
3: I agree. No, he gets 2 years Correct. to like figure it out in South Haven yep. and you see what you got in 2 years. Um certainly certainly this year, this coming season. And then yeah, a good old draft and stash yes. is just fun to I, talk about.
1: I, it was good to have that back.
3: Um can I So first of all, this guy this guy's not going to ever play. What's his name? Uh the Turkish guy? Yeah, one am I I should I should remember. Um I got his roster up here. T- Tarek Baborovic. B-
2: B- yeah, I'm sure that's right.
3: Tarek mm-hmm. Baborovic. Yeah, I'm sure you
2: nailed it. Um,
3: so, get this. So he plays for this Turkish Super League team. Fener- Fenerbahce, I think is how it's pronounced. It's in Istanbul. And it's in the League. So it's like in the Turkish Super League, but it also plays in the League, which is like the elite that's the be- second the, best league it's in the, the champions
2: league of basketball
3: yeah it's it's the second best league in the yeah. world other than the nba May, maybe the g leagues better i don't know i, I bet you it's i, as, I bet you it's better than the g league
2: i bet it's better than the g league just cuz they have like more grown men yes um look who's
3: on his team uh this past season uh the younger brother of giannis kostas antetokounmpo um, oh the bucks don't have to keep him around anymore i I guess not. No, no. Costas is the other, the third brother. Ah, uh, who play, I think he played at Dayton.
2: I just which is the one that that the Bucks just have to keep on the roster just because it makes Giannis happy.
3: Yeah, uh, I forget what his name. But there's a th- he's this is the third brother. Okay. Um, and then uh, Bielitsa, remember him? Ah, yes. That's where he landed this year. Nemanja Bielitsa, Nick Calathis. Hand Nick Calathis, 34-year-old Nick Calathis, is playing for this Federbanche
2: team. I had no idea he was still playing basketball. Uh,
3: another former Grizzly,
2: Tyler Dorsey, also, played for this team this you know, year. You know when you hear somebody's age and you're like, holy cow, that guy's that old? Yeah. I do the opposite with Kalathis, <laughs> Kalathis, <laughs> like, Kalathis is, he's only he's 30? only 34? Are you serious? <laughs> it's like the guy version of Christy Brinkley. Like every uh, time you like, you're like, you know... It just blows you away. Um, Carson Edwards plays for this team. It's like a, it's a
3: pretty good team. Marco wait, Guterich wait, wait, is on Carson's this roster. Carson's already out of the NBA? I think so. Well, according clearly, to this, yeah. According to this roster on uh, realgm.com, Marco Guterich, old friend, Marco Guterich is on this team. Nigel Hayes from Wisconsin. Scotty Wilbekin from Florida. <laughs> Got a good team out there in Istanbul. A lot of Istanbul. fundamentals there. A lot of, it's a good team out there in Istanbul. Um, but yeah, so we got a draft and stash too. So it's, uh, it was a, uh, it was a quiet night, but I thought, uh, hearing from Zach Kleiman, the first team official to speak about the, the John Morant suspension and John Morant since it happened, I thought that was actually the, you know, the, the most interesting part of, of draft night, but we'll get into it here in a second 2, 240 two two forty or so Blake Topmire will join us like he always does. He's the SEC columnist. For the USA Today Network, we'll uh we'll get into some college football with him. Three o'clock or so, we'll get into the list. Chandler Lawson has a new home, Jeffrey. He has found a place to transfer. I think marking the end of the Lawson era at Memphis. I believe. I you know just never say never. I don't don't know. Maybe that maybe when the it it seems maybe one of the boys' kids will you know be a basketball player and end up at
2: Memphis at some point. But again, never say never. But yes, it seems like this iterate this chapter
3: yeah um second generation yeah we'll get into that in the list and then uh we'll do our games of the weekend and get out of here but you know i wanted to dive into you know we talked about the draft a little bit we can get into it more but i wanted to zero in specifically because like again the the draft picks they made last night were are, are inconsequential for this season um what was notable last night was we heard from Zach Kleiman and uh, he talked a little bit about the Marcus Smart trade. It was odd because they it hadn't it was like forty five minutes from officially being completed, but it was already past midnight, and so he like had to like talk around it a lot. Couldn't talk specifically. It was yeah, again another like. But why could Brad Stevens talk specifically about it? Yeah, I don't know. I,
2: they, I'm I'm sorry, like they hide behind that. Like, yeah. That's so weird. Yeah. It it's was, clearly not. I'll say this: it is clearly not a league rule. Or I think is it, it, is an, rule? it is a league rule. I think an it's enforced
3: like enforced league rule. I think like you know, maybe you like make a phone call to the league and go, "Hey, like you know, are you guys process? Like, can we just we, we had a, it's midnight? We got we can't wait for this deal to go through. Like, we want to get out of here. I, I don't know, whatever. Um, but it the most interesting stuff was said about Ja, and um, I thought. Frankly, like, you know, at times, you know, it was, like, clear, like, at least Zach Kleiman was giving off the very clear impression that, you know, like, to a certain extent, they were, like, kind of fed up with Ja. You know, like, they were, you know, they were, they, like, he his quotes were very strong. I thought the, the strongest comments we've seen from the organization since all this started. And it feels like their response has evolved. Like, initially, like, if you go back to, like, say, at first, they weren't even acknowledging it. Like when the first TMZ report came out, you know, about the fight at his um,
2: backyard. At his Herrera, backyard,
3: the, the, the pickup. I game. don't think they responded to that at all. Like it was, you know, I don't c- think they responded to any of the. Well, the, uh, well, then, then I would say the Pacers incident. That that was the first one I feel like,
2: but that, that also was happened on that also happened yes. in the forum.
3: But but they but they were they like really defended him. You know what I mean? Like they Lovely. really. Pu- that's what I'm saying, but yeah. like that's what I'm, ta- no, I'm talking about. Publicly very strongly, they, they they defended him, and uh, and then you saw the Denver incident is where their tone first changed. It was like more somber, you know, like uh, they weren't they weren't uh, I, they didn't reprimand Ja after the Denver thing. It was more just like we're really disappointed, you know, like. Um, sad more than mad, if that makes sense. Um, and when he came back, yeah, but they were the ones
2: that suspended him the first time. Yeah, remember? Because remember, we kept waiting for the league to announce. Like, remember, it was like no, the league well, like, eventually whatever. announced. They it. sent him
3: home. Yeah, well, he no, he he voluntarily. Oh, no, 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 no.
2: You got oh, that yeah, one you're wrong. right. You're right. They you're right. sent him home. They were on the road and like, but again, it was but more... no, no, because that was the first time I noticed it started to be quicker in tone. It was like short. It's like. He's been sent home, like, and it was very matter of fact, like. But
3: the, when he came back, it was more like a tone of like, "We're gonna, we want to help him."
2: Yes, you know, when, they, when he came help. back, I would agree. But I'm talking about the, their messaging when they sent him when home. It was still presented. It was, it was
3: pretty cold. It was presented as he's going to get help, like he's, you know, like it was presented in that vein more so. And then, you know, very clearly, this, this latest incident and then even at the end of season press conference you know it was like a hopeful tone right you know like we've seen progress from Ja these last couple months since he came back and you know we're hopeful
2: that that's going to continue into the off season you know we yeah, have yeah no- i don't know the 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 <coughs> end of the season one i didn't put a lot of stock into every answer felt like lip service like every answer felt like a stock the reason why i paid attention last night cuz last night was the first time it didn't feel like a like a rehearsed stock can't like canned answer.
3: Yeah. Well, um, right off the bat, when he was asked about it, Kleiman referred to the uh, suspension as quote appropriate. Said, We're certainly disappointed with the behavior that transpired as we got into well, the let's off. Well, let's
2: season. just start with the very beginning. Mm-hmm. That's news to me. What? We thought it was appropriate. Yes
3: he said i think the discipline from the nba i think was appropriate um do you think that surprised do you think that surprised fans um i i would you know i i was okay with them if they want to say that if they want to if they feel like because this is a fight with the union maybe like the league is putting pressure on them to have to say that sort of thing to me it was more I think it's the way he expounded on it. If he had just said, you know, something matter of fact like or but you're right, there's a different way you could have said it. You could have said something like we will abide by all yep. d- you know, all, you know, discipline handed out by the end by the NBA. You could have phrased it like that yep. and it would have made it seem like you know it would have sounded different, right? than we think it's appropriate. Yes. Um so yes, you're right. That I thought that was very interesting. You know, and he said, "Continue." He said, uh, "There's ongoing discussion now with the league, the union, and Ja's representatives." And then he said, "This: What's Ja going to commit to going forward? What are the steps that he's prepared to take for the NBA to grant the ability to rejoin the team after serving the the suspension?" I think there's a lot of healthy dialogue there. I think we did acknowledge early on that this was going to be ongoing, and Ja wasn't just going to become the best version of himself overnight. I think there's many serious steps that he needs to continue to take. There's no strain in the relationship, but we have high expectations of the standard that Jaw's going to have to hold himself to.
2: So the way that I interpreted that was, to me, it, it felt like the organization felt that a pretty stiff penalty was what they thought was needed mm-hmm. to kind of rattle the cage. And the other thing though that I kind of like if you want to like synthesize like the whole week if you will or really I guess the last 48 hours I think what I think what the organization is showing is hey ja we're trying to do everything we can here mm-hmm. you know you got to help us out here you got to meet us halfway we're trying like mm-hmm. this isn't this isn't a situation like lebron the first time in cleveland where they're just trying to you know they surround him with it's, nothing. It's like a, it's a very, doing everything. I mean, I have a
3: column up at commercial.com. It's a de- very delicate tap dance they're having to do now because, and like, they didn't want to be, they didn't want the relationship to be like this. Well, no. Like, ja, Ja's actions have forced the relationship to a certain extent. However, I would say, I thought, you know, and, and this is what I thought was really interesting was later on when Ja came up again with Kleiman. And, um, I think it was a question along the lines of like, is John taking this more seriously this time? You know, like, have you, have you seen, you know, and, um, he said this, and I thought this was the, to me, the response where I was like, okay, that's a decision to, to say this, but it'll be interesting going forward. This is Zach Kleiman. I think he's taken some steps. But at this point, honestly, it doesn't matter until he follows through on it. Couldn't care less about words. Ja has to prove it. He's really going to have to. It's easy to say the right things. I think there's been instances in the past where Ja has shown recognition and remorse with respect to what was really a problematic pattern of behavior, where there were things that we would challenge him on that we would call out, and it was two steps forward, one step back, and there's no room for steps back at this point. Ja needs to, he has the opportunity to come back from this. Ja has every opportunity. Everyone wants him to be successful, believes in him to be successful, is going to continue to give him the tools, the structure to be successful. It's on Ja.
2: So, the first connection I made, and see if you think this is reaching. Mm-hmm. So, Ja, in his, I think it's the last statement, right? The statement that he got after the, that he, he released after the state, uh, after, was it after the video or after the suspension where he had like I know my word you know words are just like, Ja even said something along the lines of I think it was
3: after is, it was his statement a few days after or at some point after the second video Okay, I believe
2: I made the connection not the suspension statement I made the connection that that seems like that that was a conversation that was a to use their words dialogue that was happening between the team and Ja mm-hmm. that. Hey you know word, words, your words are just your words right now. like at this point, you can say whatever you want, no one's really buying it. Mm-hmm. I made that connection. do you think that's do you think that's reaching? because it's also possible like Zach's reiterating I, I what, will say this while i
3: you know i i the way I phrased it in my column, and I, I i you you tell me if you disagree based on the quotes I've read you so far this felt like the harshest criticism of Ja from the organization publicly that we've heard.
2: Yes, I would also argue though it feels like I don't think it's first, like too harsh. No, personally. but it also feels like the first real criticism. Yeah, like there's been like like you said, it was like the public, the public messaging beforehand was pretty like supportive. Yeah, this one, yeah, no, I agree, but I I don't even know if it's like the harshest criticism. It's it's the, the only first crit- harsh.
3: Yeah, <laughs> um, and then. Kleiman was asked about, you know, this delicate tap dance, if you will, I called it again, um, between the organization and a star player. You know, every you know, every NBA team goes through it with a superstar player. Yep. Yeah. Um there's just it's a di- it's it's different than the relationship you have with Marcus Smart or uh
2: uh anyone else on the roster. Honestly, it's different than Desmond like, Bain and well, no. Jaron Jackson. For sure, but like it's different than Mike Conley. It's different yes. than Mark Gasol. It's different yeah. than Zach Randolph. Like, yeah,
3: it's a different type of relationship. And uh, Zach said this, Ja's thrilled to be in Memphis. There have been plenty of instances where we sat Ja down and gave him feedback that he wasn't thrilled about. But that doesn't mean... I think Ja wants to be held accountable. I think in the moment at times, sometimes he's got to take a step back and learn from it. I think he has made progress there. I don't want to lose sight of that. But at this point, he's going to have to show he can sustain that. We're going to continue to pour into him. We're going to continue to hold him to account for everything he's doing day to day. It's on him to follow through. But he's going to have every opportunity to do so. So, um, you know, it's it. it I don't think I, I don't know if I wouldn't would or wouldn't have said it. I was surprised to hear it last night in that setting after the draft.
2: Yeah, I think there's a couple of things.
3: Even though, like, again, he was answering questions from the media, Zach they, he was There was no avoiding Ja. Whoever was going to speak next for the Grizzlies was going to have to answer questions about Ja, whether it was Taylor Jenkins or Zach Kleiman, because no one from the organization had spoken since the suspension. So there was no avoiding it, but there were, I think... conscious decisions made and a pivot made in terms of tone here that I don't think, you know, I don't think you can just bypass. You know, I think there was a tension to it that
2: wasn't there before. So the way that that I think about it is, it seems to me it's one of two scenarios. And tell me if you agree. Scenario number one, they are taking a different approach because the approach that they have taken previously – was not effective. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And that's where you get kind of the the criticism of the coddling and whatnot. And for him to have, for him to say what he said last night, it displayed the amount of actual frustration that they've been having uh, behind the scenes. Scenario number two to me is the Grizzlies do not make Zach regularly available. Let's see, I'm trying to think when he's available. He's available at the, after the, the it, opening, the opening of camp, right? That media day,
3: the opening of training camp, the deadline, the trade uh, after the trade deadline, and then last night, and then at the end of the season breakdown, yeah, yeah, breakdown. Day. So four, he's and basically
2: then, he's available
3: four regular times a year, and then and then I believe I'm not sure. If he spoke when, like when, like they announced Ja. It, oh,
2: if I there's if, a, a, if there's a significant trade that he, like he does a like
3: last year when they bring in the first round picks, the next day he speaks at that yeah. too. Yeah, um, the, the, but the they didn't do that this everything. year because yeah. there were no first round picks. Um, and then I don't I don't remember if he spoke like when Jaw signed his deal and did that availability in Las Vegas. I'm, not, I'm trying to. I think Zach might have been a part of that too when they announced. You know, the max
2: deal, if you will. I don't remember exactly that. But he has, but, he has but four. But there's like
3: four or five
2: each year that. It's basically four regular times and then some special exemptions.
3: Yes. In terms of on the record, yeah.
2: Correct. That's not a lot of talking compared to Taylor Jenkins, who literally sits behind a microphone after every game. And
3: before and every game.
2: Before every game. <laughs> and what, once a week at practice? I think he has to be available once a week during practice.
3: No, every practice they have, if he's requested, he has to speak okay. at it. Shoot around, he doesn't have to speak at it anymore.
2: So, essentially, he's available...
3: For like nine months out of the year, he's speaking basically every correct. day.
2: <laughs> so, what I would say is, the other scenario in my mind is, it's someone who doesn't regularly speak publicly, having to answer a lot of questions. Also, should be noted, late at night, mm-hmm. in that setting, that setting, everyone's exhausted, And maybe you're just not as, like, careful or sharp with your words.
3: And more of the truth comes (laughs) out.
2: I'm not saying that.
3: But to me, like, those. I had no problem with anything he said. I also, though, feel like I'm not John Morant. I'm not the people around John Morant. And I do think some of the things he said, some people will digest differently than me. 'Cause I do think he was challenging John ja Morant there in a way I've never heard anyone from this organization challenge John ja Morant publicly.
2: Yeah, I guess where I just push back, and it's not even necessarily to your point, I am not someone that believes in the end, like the city, the media, the way mm-hmm. the front office handles a star pushes the star of the way pushes the star away. Inevitably what happens, like it's the star doesn't think that he can win there.
3: Well, it's, it's what's more important in all this in your mind is not how John ja Morant uh, feels about Zach Kleiman, it's how he feels about Marcus Smart. Yeah. You know, like how, because like I think how him and Smart play together is going to ultimately determine the effectiveness of that transaction. Like for it to max out, they have to be good together on the court.
2: Yeah, I think there's there's an element of that, but for me, it's really just how do the Grizzlies, like, does Ja get better? Mm-hmm. Does Jaron. Continue to get better? Does Des get better? Like, I think the thing that you've realized this week is that fourth piece that we keep the proverbial fourth piece, whether or not it's, you know, was Dylan, whether or not now it's Marcus Smart. I think what you realize is that's probably not going to be a consistent player. Mm-hmm. Those three are going to be really what defines the organization and those other guys are going to have roles. Like that's going to be a part of it. But what's going to really define the success of the organization like during this era is how good are those three guys? And to me, one of the more alarming things like we you know obviously the the videos get the reaction that they do and mm-hmm. I've made it very clear I think that they were remarkably stupid. Like un like I they're so stupid, I can't understand how that happened. Mm-hmm. That type of stupid. Mm-hmm. In terms of the, the basketball thing that I saw that was the most alarming all year. Mm-hmm. Remember that scene? Because you were there. Or
3: was Which after game? It
2: was after game four of yeah. the Lakers series.
3: Yeah, the one they lost to the heartbreaker.
2: No, no, no. Game four. Yeah, so game, what, that was game, game no, four sorry, was sorry, when LeBron sorry, sorry, dominated. Sorry, game three. It was after the first game in L.A.
3: And they got, run, yeah, they they got, got beat pretty good. They got good. beat
2: in the first quarter, Yeah, and then Ja went nuts in the second half. Yeah. And on the scoreboard, I think they got beat by like 12, something, yeah, maybe ja 10. Yeah, Ja had like 40-something. Yeah, ja went for 40-plus. And you saw those videos post-game, like where he's dancing and like, yeah, he was getting chirped by Lakers fans, but... The reason why I made a note of that, that I thought that was bizarre, I started noticing this pattern this year. The result of the game did not matter. At least the visual, like what we saw body language-wise to Ja, the result of the game did not matter as much as how he played mattered. And that was a perfect example for me of, he goes for 40 and you could tell his mood is just completely different. Well... I, I actually
3: interpreted the game three that that as like him trying to lead the team, actually, because like they had like the reality was that game was a lot more lopsided than the game 10 was or 12 the yeah. you know, and he was, you know, but they but I actually I actually don't necessarily read as much into that. I, I, I do think in terms of. What you're getting at in terms of like we've his, seen
2: other examples, his
3: priorities like, were
2: clearly out of whack in a lot of ways over the last year. But like there were other examples this year where I expected him to be happier, mm-hmm. and it was like then you started doing the math, is like oh he didn't have like that great of a game, so he was kind of sulky. We saw a lot more of sulky jaw this year. Yeah, and again, who knows like what all like beyond what we've just been seeing is going on. But I noticed that this year his performance affected his mood more. Than the team's performance, and this is the reason why I say it's troubling. Like I synthesized this whole week as, "Hey, buddy, it's your team. We're doing mm. everything we can. Mm. We're surrounding you yeah. with what the best that we can go get.
3: You, we need, we need another voice in the room. We'll go get Marcus Smart.
2: Correct. And if you're going to be that type of leader, whether or not you go viral that night should have no impact on how you feel, at least publicly. Yeah." I don't
3: I don't know I don't know whether you're right or wrong I, like I'm not saying your your theory's wrong but I just view it as Morant with all of this he's in he's in an emotional situation and as to your point feels like kind of an emotional you know like he is he's very moody yeah like there's there's been a wide range of emotions certainly in the last year it feels like much wider than what it was before, maybe, or what we've seen before, um, and that's why you know I paid careful attention to what Zach Kleiman was saying last night because I was thinking in my head, okay, I'm seeing it this way. When John Morant goes on YouTube and watches that video back, what's he gonna think when he's hearing this? I, I don't know the answer to that, um, and I just got the kind of reinfor- but it reinforced me like I got the sense though that what Zach said. He'd already said to John Correct. Morant. That's, uh,
2: that was my interpretation. But, but,
3: but what will Ja think about him saying it publicly? That's what I mean. But it is, uh, it reinforced to me, though, like, as great as, the, uh, whether if you even if you think the Marcus Smart trade is, like, the best trade they could have made, mm-hmm. it's still far more important. Like, none of this makes any sense if you do not fix John Morant, if you will. No, Whatever. if he's you know not an I all-NBA mean? caliber like, player again. yeah. You know, like, you. that's. The most important task of the offseason is his sort of recovery from all of this um self-inflicted mostly trauma that that has occurred in his career slash life. Um yeah. that that felt reinforced to me last night listening to Zach Kleiman. I wanted to there's there's other things Kleiman said that are interesting. I think we should talk about him at the end of the show, like summer league stuff that was interesting, salary cap stuff. Mm-hmm. Um but there was an interesting, before we get to Blake Topmeyer, um, Zach Lowe on the Low Post podcast, on ESPN podcast, uh, I think it was posted this morning in reaction to the draft. It was him and Kirk Goldsberry and uh, someone else. But they were talking about this Marcus Smart trade, and they were talking about it from all angles. And in talking about Memphis, um, he brought up this at the very end. He basically said, look out for Memphis as a sign-and-trade team. Um, here in free agency. Okay. Um, and I do think what are we going to be talking about coming out of the weekend? I mean, we're we're now I believe a week from today is when free agency begins. Uh, right around I think five o'clock central time. I think it's legal tampering. Uh, le- whatever. Yeah, you're right. Whatever. When when you can like start negotiating and these deals will get reported by Shams and Woj. Um,
1: mm, tough night for Shams, by the way. Yeah, night, oh, hated oh, that yeah. for him. We'll talk yeah. about him in
3: the list. Keep yeah, um, but it was uh, I need to see that oh. Zach Kleiman said last night he was basically he was t- he was tamping down expectations. It felt like when he was talking to the media about like what they might do in addition, you know, they still have one ro- roster spot open yep. after last night, and it felt like he was just like don't, it, he was given kind of the don't expect too much here. Like we're you know, we're right up against it with the luxury tax, and in two years, you know, someone's willing to take a one year deal you know, we'll let, you know, certainly we'll be willing to talk to him, but like, you know, adding a lot more money for multiple years. Translation,
2: uh, I don't think that Harrison Barnes thing's happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, it it. like,
3: it was just like, it was just like, let's, we're going to add a guy, yeah, but yeah. like, you know, like, keep your expectations yeah. down here. We're not going to go at, you know, he was making it clear. Marcus Smart is the big move. Yeah. You know, like, we're not going to do a bigger move than than Marcus Smart, okay. more than likely. Um, but, they do have another roster spot, and it does feel like, especially with Brandon Clark out at the beginning of the year, don't you think? You you, you are missing, like, you're missing a wing, like a depth wing. You know, like, if you're truly talking about how, how to maximize what you've got this season, don't you think they need some sort of wing? Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be the starter, but, like, Right now, you're basically counting on one of the, you know, one of those rookies really stepping up, and maybe yeah, you they feel really comfortable
2: have, doing that. They really one really of those last
3: have, year's rookies. They, they only know. have
2: three bigs right now. Do you think they're gonna sign a big? I, I think it's possible. Like they're thin at that position too. Like, like honestly, though, you could make the case. Like they've got Adams, Jackson, Tillman, and Santi. Yeah, but Santi's also more of like. He can
3: fill that wing role, and maybe. Then, but. I mean,
2: to me, it's like a matter of what do they think of Laravia, Roddy, and Zaire.
3: Yeah. Now, it was interesting. The other the other thing last night, Desmond Bain spoke over at the, I think, Grind City Media. And, like, they had, like, a season ticket holder event that Grind City yeah. Media host, hosted over at Southland Casino. And Bain made an appearance and did, like, an interview and, like, talked about the – he talked more about the Marcus Smart trade than Zach Kleiman did. Um, he's really excited about it. He, it. you could tell on Twitter he was like the grizzly who uh, immediately reacted to it. But speaking about it, he was um clearly very happy about the deal um uh, for uh for Bain. Um but I just wonder um what are they gonna you know, what are they gonna be able to pull off? Um what else? Because I do think, again, I think they're missing something, very clearly. Aside from just a player to fill a
2: roster spot. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's the, a good team. I mean, we don't also, get me wrong. We this also is a don't good know, team. like, we don't know what the market is going to be. Yeah, like, you know what I mean. Like that's a huge part. All right, we'll get into more of that during our yeah. number sign two. and trade, though. Maybe we'll get into I Dylan get, Brooks. We'll get back into the sign and trade thing. My first thought to that was people that were like reacting. It's like. Yeah no duh. Why wouldn't you want to sign? If you're letting somebody walk, yeah, wouldn't of course you want to sign and trade? You get something back, yeah. like. That was like a note it's, done it's to a, Yeah. yeah. Saying,
3: do you want to breathe? Yeah, yeah I want to breathe.
2: Yeah, No, seems better than the alternative. Yeah. <laughs> All right, when we come back, Blake Topmeyer joins the program. We'll, we'll talk to him next, right here on Jane Otto and Jeffrey. 92.9.
0: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Um, ESPN. Giannato and Jeffrey broadcast live from the Red River Toyota Studios. Check out Red River Toyota in Wynn, Arkansas. This hour of GJ is brought to you by the Next Generation 10G Network. Only from Xfinity. The Giannotto and Jeffrey Show on 92.9 FM ESPN. Oh,
2: Blake Topmire is the SEC columnist for the USA Today Sports Network. His podcast is SEC Football Unfiltered. He's on Twitter at b Kind enough to join us each and every Friday, Blake. I thought about. Uh, I think this is where I want to start, as we head into like the dog days of summer, before you know, right before media days, where we start to get at least you know some manipulated storylines. What are we monitoring right now? Like, what, what, what is what's something that you're like keeping up with? Like, what are the stories that you're you're tracking, if you will? Boy, uh, it, not much. <laughs> whether or not, yeah, no, like, I, whether or not the Pac-12 gets a TV deal.
4: Yeah, and that, I mean that that that's really getting off into the weeds of of college sports coverage. I mean, it's kind of preseason magazine season, mm. I guess, right? And and we really are kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. Of off-season content when we start getting into we're not even in watch list season boys
2: yeah yeah we it's haven't even, even we're not even getting season. the we're not even getting the media relations people bombarding our emails yeah uh,
3: the here's the hundred guys who could win the Nagurski
2: Trophy but we might add more later in the year for some others see I'm fine with those whatever the ones that I truly love the standout ones are like I did not know that was an award mm. like I'm someone who's watched this sport my entire life I am I cover it I'm in I'm in the media. I had no idea that was a thing. Those are my favorite watch lists to get.
4: You know, this is the season where coaches take their like two weeks or ten days of.
2: This is a, what's that lake? And- lake Acone? What's that Georgia lake where they all go?
4: Yeah, yeah, they all they all go to a lake house, or they go to 30A. Yeah, or you know, in Brian Kelly's case, I think he heads back up north for for a lake house. Like, um, it is like truly the probably the quietest you know 3 or 4 week stretch in the college football calendar maybe the only really quiet stretch in the college football calendar because you know by this time next month uh as as you put it we'll have the the manufactured uh media days storylines and you know the transfer portal has filled in some of the other quiet gaps in the calendar so i don't know i i am really scratching and clawing to to label this anything other than like preseason mag season their yeah. time of the calendar you,
2: you could tell you could tell everyone was just kind of done right now when Saban dropped the whole you know would be we would have been favored by three or if, of three of the four teams and, and like, come a, on Nick there we're was all a, tired there, there was a little pushback but like it certainly wasn't like when he dropped it during the playoff when like everyone was just pouncing like there was a few people but it's like more or less we're all like okay we're doing this again yeah, I mean,
4: Saban's almost at the point of parodying himself yeah. now when he's, when he's dragging this whole notion up again of, well, you know, Alabama would have been favored against two teams in the, in the college football playoff. I mean, is that how ingrained uh, sports betting has become in, in the culture? I guess it is that Nick Saban, um, you know, perhaps the, the greatest coach in, in the history of this sport is now not, not just talking about betting lines, but per mythical projected betting lines it's not it's not that the lines were set it's not that he was saying well we got lsu coming to town this weekend and we're a 6 point favorite it was it was mythical projected betting lines for for what's spread he's he's basically would have
2: been against, he's basically citing power ratings he's
4: like we're power rated better pretty
2: much. that's basically right. what he's doing mm.
4: yeah and did anybody see um you know ohio state play play georgia and think well alabama should have been in the playoff and i know we can look at the final score of the national championship game and and yeah TCU, but that was michigan's but, fault like you know what i mean well but we didn't see alabama play georgia either right yeah. like i mean that's the thing we didn't see alabama play georgia and i think it would have been closer to 65 to 7 but how do we know georgia wouldn't have beaten the doors off Alabama, you know, and, and this is just so uncharacteristic for Saban. I don't really know what he's getting at. Like everybody acts like every word that comes out of Nick Saban's mouth is, has some sort of higher meaning. Like he's a mastermind, um, you know, pulling the strings on all this. And it's like, what is the point of six months after the season ended to continue to complain that you didn't make the playoffs when what you did during the season did not give you a playoff resume. I mean, we can talk about, uh, you know, were they actually among uh, the four best teams in college football? I mean, I think that's debatable. I I don't think that's proven in any means. They lost to Tennessee. They lost to LSU. I'm not sure they were better than fourth. I thought Tennessee had had a better case than them.
3: Everyone's just – if you go – I mean, the reason Tennessee didn't is the argument that Hendon Hooker was hurt at that point. But I I, (laughs) –
2: Well, and to Blake's point though, the real reason is we saw like yes, the final score wasn't a blowout between Tennessee and Georgia, but we all watched it. It's like, okay, Georgia was way better than them.
4: And well, and then and then the South Carolina issue, yeah. But, yeah, but like um, to
2: me like we do the the like if if Georgia would have Yeah, Georgia. if Georgia would have beaten Alabama in the same fashion, I think we kind of would have written them off too. Like it's the fact that like we kind of yes, obviously the the South Carolina thing was what it was. But like, if they just, you know what I mean? Like, I, I I feel like the, I feel like Alabama was saved by the fact that we didn't have to see them play Georgia. I think that's a good point. You know, we, Tennessee
4: had their shot at Georgia, lost, and then and then South Carolina knocked them out of the playoff. LSU had their shot against Georgia in the SEC championship, lost, and and the only reason you know Nick Saban can even go on the the Joel Klatt show and say. Alabama should have been a, a playoff team, was because Alabama didn't play Georgia last season, and so it had the benefit of not losing to Georgia. But they did play Tennessee, they did play LSU, they lost to both of them. I, I can't believe that that Nick Saban's still talking about this. Again, it's like um, I, I don't know. Maybe he just thinks the whole thing's a joke, and and he's in on it, um, and and the rest of us are all just kind of dummies working ourselves up over this thing.
3: We're talking to Blake Topmeyer. He's the SEC columnist for the USA Today Network. You can read his work uh, here in Memphis in the Commercial Appeal. Blake, I, I wanted to ask you about the story coming out of Knoxville today about the Neyland Stadium renovations. You you live we're, in Knoxville. We're trying
2: to build stuff here too. So yeah, yeah, we've
3: got a stadium renovation of our own on tap here in Memphis, and I'm curious if this will relate at all. Um, Here's the here's the story out of the not from the Knoxville News Sentinel. University of Tennessee wants to increase its budget by a combined 105.8 million dollars for renovations to Neyland Stadium and Lindsey Nelson, Nelson Stadium, the baseball stadium. To account for rising labor, material, and construction costs, the UT Board of Trustees will vote on both renovations renovation plans next Friday at a meeting here in Memphis. Um, so they are going to the baseball stadium. The budget is going to be increased by sixty nine percent. Nice. Um, to add twenty one hundred seats. Um, that program is, you know, surging now, m- much more popular than it used to be. But so it's gonna go up from fifty six point eight million for that baseball stadium for twenty one hundred seats to ninety five point eight million. Um, I bring that up as a reference point to the soccer stadium that they say is gonna cost like sixty million or something. Sixty five. <laughs> <laughs> um There have been some heroes that have been raising their hand on that. And then they're asking the Board of Trustees to approve a $49 million hike for phase one of the project, which is already underway. And then I thought this paragraph was just amazing. That would bring phase one of the Neyland Stadium renovations to a cost of $337 million if it's approved. The initial project, approved in 2017, included two phases for $340 million total. No updates to Phase 2 have been released. So now Phase 1 costs the same amount as the entire project was supposed to cost when it was approved six years ago.
2: Um, 350000000 million doesn't get you anything. Like, I know. Just get
3: your Phase 1 now. I, mean, I know. What? Like, That's what I'm thinking. Times are changing. I, I'm thinking about it in terms of Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium. Now, they're doing a little more they're doing it seems like they're doing a little more obviously than than Memphis is they're updating all their suites right You you know better than me like they're updating all their suites and then doing you know revamping the concourses they're doing some more um maybe some more extensive work but what what are we supposed to make of this that the project costs the same now as it was supposed to cost with double for double the amount of work
4: before yeah, maybe phase 2 of the project's going to be throwing down a welcome mat outside uh, uh gate 21 and saying, "Well, there's phase 2." There is $3. no phase 2. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, $3 is spent in phase 2. Um, you know, that, that's the mystery here. Like if if phase 2 is is greatly curtailed as compa- compared to the biggest, uh, you know, the initial plans and it's like, "Okay, well then spending is is in check." If phase 2 um is going to cost double the proposed amount, much like phase one is costing double the proposed amount. Well, then all of a sudden, um, you know, this this project is doubled. But, you know, a lot of things have changed since then. Like back when that was approved initially, John Curry was athletic director. So you've gone from John Curry to Philip Fulmer and Danny White. And Mm -hmm. I do think um, with Danny White in here, and I, I don't know that that speaks to the entire um, budget increased of this of this project it is true um, you know materials labor inflation and all that I, I don't know that that doubles should double the cost of phase one but Danny white when he came in here there was this perception among folks in the athletics um, you know NCAA athletics community that a Danny white was an excellent fundraiser and B that Tennessee had been a little bit of a sleeping giant in revenue um, and I think this could be kind of a reflection of that. I mean, Philip Fulmer, he was at he was out at football practice coaching up the offensive line. Like he he, he couldn't be bothered to to fundraise. Um, but it's not just that. It's not just Danny White. Like he brought in a whole new team of individuals and and immediately um, started making some changes. Like Tennessee had like this antiquated season ticket structure to where like you were grandfathered into your old seats and you were kind of immune from some of the the ticket prices. And and it was great. Like if you were a longtime season ticket holder, that was great. You loved it. It was, it was maybe the best deal in the SEC. Well, Danny White came in and said, we ain't going to, you know, do that grandfathered in type thing anymore. Uh, The cost of doing business went up and I think that upset some, some people. Um, But, you know, I think this guy's, all about revenue, and and then using that revenue um, to put it back into the athletic department, whether that be facilities um, or other stuff around the fringes, um, but to kind of upgrade the experience. He wants to upgrade the experience, um, but he thinks it comes at a cost. And so to do that, you gotta you, you gotta fundraise the revenue. I, I think he's he's done a pretty good job on that front, and I think that probably speaks um, to some of this. Some of this increase, but again, the, the part two is sort of a lingering mystery. Are, are they going to curtail the back end of this project? Maybe it's possible. Maybe, maybe some stuff just got moved forward, you know, into more of the phase one costs.
2: Is it also possible this is a reflection of Mark and I? We talked about the Mike Loxley comment, comment. You know, the I think there's kind of a devaluing of facilities now, at least from coaches, because they want all the money for NIL. Like, this is kind of, you know, I know Kiffin, Ole Miss was supposed to do a renovation of their stadium and they put it on pause because all the money coming in, like, they wanted to spend it on NIL. And then, you know, the cost, it obviously was also reflective of the cost of building went up. And they're like, whoa, this is going to cost way more than we thought. Like, I wonder if it's also just a reflection of, you know, facilities don't seem to matter as much to coaches anymore because they feel like the only thing that matters in recruiting now is whatever, you know, whatever your NIL chest has
4: and yet you still got to spend all that revenue somewhere
2: right yeah. like you can't take that
4: ESPN revenue and say uh, hey Johnny quarterback over here we just got yeah. a big check from ESPN uh let let let's sign this over to you and and you can stuff this in your pocket i mean you can do that but uh, you're going to you know end up in Jeremy Pruitt's situation or something like that right yeah. like um, you know so it's like if you think your donors only got so many so many hundred dollar bills in their pockets, and and you think you're you're in danger of running up against the bottom of that pocket? Then yes, you want to put your facilities projects probably on hold in this climate, and and tell your donors uh, whatever you're going to donate to facilities, donate to the nil collective instead. Um, but it-
1: you could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe.